Given it's a bit. I've uh, been following him when he started playing um, and up until now. In the beginning, it was always about, you know, bashing and smashing everybody. He was like a little ticking time bomb. I think now that played 100 tests, he's, more, he's calmed down a bit, but still gives his physical presence. He always has that physical presence on the field. I would put him with... In the beginning, it was nice to see him and Victor Matfield playing together. Put him and Victor Matfield together. Definitely, is even it's a bit diamond is a monster. It's a beast for a man. For all vanerai on fire is a strong. Tickles is a aggressive. Net say presence op die field maak a goed verskil. Ek dink mense is bang, bang vir hy man. Thank you to Wesley and Ricky for those voice notes sharing their favorite locks, if not the all-time greatest lock. Welcome to Nice Try for the Fans, and as you heard, by the fans. Timothy, welcome to you. What do you do? There it is. That's how people know that they're in the right place. Once once you hear that greeting from Timothy Josh, you know you're in the right place. So you can find us right here on your podcast distributor, whether it's Spotify, Deezer, Apple, Buzzsprout. Oh my goodness, we're everywhere. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can share your comments and also send an email, bsgproductions at outlook.com. Welcome to the show. Timothy, today we're going to be, can you believe it? Kenako, it is here. The World Cup is upon us. We've been counting down. We've been gearing up. We've been getting ready. And finally, it is here. How are you feeling? It's been a long time coming. It's Mm -hmm. a weird feeling, you know, waiting for so long. And then when it's upon you, it seems like... An hour left is seemingly longer than you know the months <laughs> and the years that have gone before. But happy to finally, at least the Springboks won't be in action, but at least it kicks off in earnest. So really excited to see what what you know this World Cup holds. Yes, and there are lots of matches happening in this opening weekend, but we've picked out our top four, and those are the matches we're going to be previewing throughout the show. That's what you can look forward to. We'll also, as usual, bring you news from the world. And we will also, of course, be making our picks for the best number six. That's the open side flanker, the one wearing the number six jersey in the team. Who will it be? And this one is the toughest yet because we've had two World Cup winning number sixes. And then we've also had the greatest rugby player to ever wear green and gold, Skogberger, <laughs> wearing a number six jersey. So we've got three stellar candidates and I, it's going to be really meaty and it's going to be really juicy. Oh, it's, it'll be really tough um, choosing those, but I'm very excited to hear your pick, Timothy. And then we have a treat for you. We'll be hearing from a South African sports journalist who's been in the game for probably longer than you've been alive Timothy and um, he's going to be giving us his takes on those four matches as well so quite the treats shall we get into it because 
the World Cup is waiting. It's here. It's it's upon us. Yeah, I mean, it's looking like it is a, a stacked show for the listeners. So, you know, I said we're bringing out our best just before the tournament starts. So, uh, obviously, we've recently just got hot news off the presses regarding the mm. Springbok lineup. So, I'm ooh, just ooh. interested to hear, to hear your opinion on the makeup and the combinations. Mm. And the bench. Before we get there, let's just take a quick whiz around the world news that's being made. I was quite devastated to hear of Caleb Muntz, that is the flying Fijians fly half, and he's going to miss the entire tournament due to a knee injury. They're low-key my second favorite team. This is a massive setback. He's only 23 years years old, and yet he's already made his mark on the world stages. He was basically the hero when they they beat England at Twickenham not so long ago. So this is is huge. It's very unfortunate, you know, like seeing these injuries take place, especially so close to the World Cup. Um, I know there was another uh, New Zealand winger that was also ruled out, unfortunately sent home also for a knee injury. Um, That might be something, you know, consider uh, regarding just the nature of the game that this is a possibility. You know, like training is not something that's hands off. You know, you need to initiate contact. So um, it's, it's going to be a tough thing for, you know, the medical teams to monitor and manage. But yeah, like mm. you said, for Fiji, it's really something that, as you said, it, they're probably the neutrals' favourite, um, just the way they play. And um, him as a player has really come on leaps and bounds and he's really proven pivotal for what Fiji really want to do. Yeah, so it's it's obviously very sad to see. Um, and it, it's the worst part of it is that you can't really plan for contingency mm. in such short notice. Um, like we've had, you know, kind of a blessing, I guess, in a sense with, with Mani to bed him in to really get him used to it. And so it's going to be sort of choppy waters, but, you know, it, it will add that much more mystique and legend to the Fiji and should they, you know, continue to compete and really make a name for themselves, I'm sure people will really look back at the, the setbacks and if they can do something about it, it will just be a greater story. Ireland have also been forced to make some late changes as they're missing three of their forwards. Jack Conan, Dan Sheehan, very notably, and Dave Kilcoin, who's out for their match against Romania. And I know that this one might not be as devastating as Fiji's loss because they're still, they're not entirely sure how long these players have to be excluded. We just know that they're out for the World Cup opener. So they might be coming back. They might still be part of the campaign, but it's it's never great to, to see players anywhere. But especially, like you said, a time like this to be excluded. Staying with rugby, but and people missing out, but kind of moving away from the World Cup. Apparently, Michael Hooper, who was notably left out of Australia's World Cup squad, he is going for gold in the literal sense. He's going to be pursuing his Olympic dream. As this week, he said Rugby Australia are looking a little more keen to include him in the Australian Sevens program. There's, of course, Paris 2024, and and that's what he's set his sights on. What do you make of that? I mean, I guess he's <laughs> sort of made a <laughs> pledge to himself that he'll be in France. <laughs> <laughs> Some other water. 
Um, obviously, I think we've always seen during the Olympics sort of predominantly 15 code players joining the sevens, you know, to give the team a boost. Just looking at his style of play, I don't think he has the outside pace, mm. but it, it'll definitely be a, a benefit to the team. That's something that I foresee being something that can work. It's just whether it's beneficial for, you know, up-and-coming players that blocking sort of that progress. But just in terms of work, right, we know the man is a machine in terms of leadership. That's something that I think Australia have been lacking on the seventh circuit. They are always sort of in and about um, victories, but just, you know, can't seem to lack that match, big match temperament. So mm. having someone like Cooper, even if it's just in the squad, um, you know, to really give some guidance would be um, something that I, I think obviously that would be beneficial. It seems like Australia is trying to build for the future, you know, with their, their squad being the youngest as well. So I think they'll lean on these leaders in key roles, but might not be be available in the future. So, World Rugby's chief executive, Alan Gilpin, he was in the news this week, just kind of reassuring everyone, the bunker system works. New rules work. The refs are trained, they're ready. Because, you know, as much as we talk about player matchups and injuries and everything going on for the sides who are competing, the refs are also such a critical element to the game. And he's basically just ahead of this opening weekend, reassuring everyone that he's looking forward to a smooth World Cup. No big issues, no big drama. The last while with Scott Barrett, Owen Farrell and and those stories, I think the rugby public, we were a little bit shaky on some issues going, hey, is World Rugby going to get their things in order ahead of this World Cup? Do you think we're in a good place? Are you feeling confident going in? Yeah, if you had to ask me a week ago, um, I'd say it seems like at least on the field, things are a bit better, but it seems like the retroactive sort of punishments are something that I'm questioning more and more. I'm really intrigued to see how the shot clock sort of uh, timer is going to affect it and if referees are going to sort of penalize that. That will be interesting because I know he said, you know, they want a smoother game. And I think if it's implemented correctly, it could definitely deliver a smoother product. You know, not having time wasting or having the ball in stasis in scrums and resetting lineouts and stuff like that. So um, that will be interesting. And if that does lean in that direction, then I feel very confident in the teams that, you know, prioritize those things because uh, it will really show some value at least if if that is how it's being implemented. Obviously, the converse is true as well. It could just be a very sore point for many teams depending on how, you know, their success or failure regarding those rule applications. We'd love to hear your takes, your thoughts, even if it's after the weekend, after the openers, maybe you could send us your ratings for all the referees involved and just discipline on the whole that would be that would be really interesting to hear so do get in touch with us educate us enlighten us and entertain us if you will now let's get stuck in we're going to start with the main one the one that's opening it all up that's france versus new zealand hey this one is tough to call 
On one hand, you've got France, they're at home, they're the favourites, but they're also without, of course, we know Tamak. We've, we've known that they'd be without him um, throughout, but now they've been dealt additional blows in Jonathan Dante and Paul Willemser. What are they feeling? Are, th- are they as confident as they look or as we imagine they are? Then there's New Zealand, who now everyone has woken up and realized, oh, they can be beaten. What's what's going on there? What do you make of it? Like, how excited are you for this opener? I'm salivating, but at the same time, I just have no idea. I don't know where to look. It's like a really, you know, great spectacle, this show with too many performers on the stage and you don't know who to keep your eyes on because something else might change. And How do you call this? This, I think, is going to be sort of an indication of what has preceded this. So in terms of warm-up games, obviously coaches were playing around with different sort of setups and different schemes. Um, So this will really give us a barometer for all the teams that have been, you know, playing France and New Zealand. And if New Zealand come out guns blazing, you as a Springbok supporter will probably be thinking, wow, okay, you know, we did really good to um, stifle them the way we did. If they come out flat and France dominate, then our focus sort of shifts and we figure out, okay, France seem to be, you know, the contenders. And I, I can't look past home ground advantage. I personally think that they will probably still come out as victors. Uh, you know, a wounded New Zealand team is not something to scoff at, but I just think in terms of preparation and in terms of, of cohesiveness, it seems like France is the more settled side. Uh, like you said, that I would say four major blows, you know, across the backs and the forwards. But this squad was, it's very deep. The talisman is still there, you know, uh, DuPont, and you'll definitely be sort of marshalling. And I think, you know, they, they don't want to get this, let this golden opportunity run away from them. They had a good World Cup the last time the World Cup was in France. I mean, they beat New Zealand, so uh, controversially, shall we say. But um, just in terms of the stakes that, you know, the stakes of that right hand and the pageantry of it, I think France will, will come through. This might be a weird question, but do you want them to win? Because, of course, the way the draw is laid out, if, if South Africa wins their pool and France wins theirs, then New Zealand and South Africa meet as early as the quarterfinals. Is that something that we're hoping for? Is that a weird question to ask? Because I, I do often, I look at, at uh, results like that as well. Just, you know, what's in it for us? I know you got to, to be the best, you got to beat the best and all of that, but really, do we want to see them again so soon? Or do you think it might be an easier route, and easier is in inverted commas, than meeting France in the quarters? What do you think from a South African perspective? I mean, in 2019, everyone was sort of happy that, you know, the All Blacks were in our group because <laughs> we didn't have to play them until the knockout. <laughs> and for all money, it looked like we would be playing them. And then, you know, England mm. uh, sort of dominated them. And I think ultimately we we need to be the guiders of our own sort of destiny. We can't be waiting on you know, particular draws to fall our way. And, mm. you know, from at least from the fans' perspective, it might seem that, you know, we might have an easier draw, you know, should we play a certain team. But I think the box and, you know, the, the coaching team and everyone's sort of planned with the idea that, you know, whoever rocks up on the day as Springbok opposition, uh, we feel confident enough to be able to beat them. And so I don't think they're really sort of 
you know, watching scores or looking at things like that. I think the Springboks are just entirely focused on their own destiny. With the history that's gone these past, let's say, six, seven, eight years, I'm inclined to to agree with with them. Uh, I don't think there's anyone that we really need to be worried about or hold our, our thumbs that we avoid them. I think the Springboks are, you know, whoever comes, we, we're willing to take them on. Bold. I like it. Now, before we head into the next matchup, I want to introduce you to Udo Carlsa. More than 30 years, he's been in the public eye, television and radio, renowned sports journalist. He is sharing his views with us today on these four matches. He's going to share his takes looking back at recent matchups between these teams and then also what he's expecting over this weekend. Right, so the historic 35-7 demolition at Twickenham at the hands of the box, I think, would suggest that the game is going to be a lot tighter than what ordinarily will be considered between these two. Uh, you throw in the fact that France walloped the All Blacks 40-25 late last year at the same ground they play on, on Friday. And the fact that France are home in front of 80,000 fans tomorrow night or Friday night, it throws a massive spanner in the works. But beware. I, I had a look at Sam Kane's eyes in that post-match interview uh, after the South Africa game uh, where we turned the All Blacks black and blue. And, and believe me, the bear was poked. The pride of what is truly still a very good combination of players is in the gutter and the only way from there is up. And uh, France's form going into the tournament, let, let's put that into perspective. A three-point win over Scotland, a four-point loss to Scotland, a 17-point win over Fiji, and a win over the most disjointed side in world rugby at the moment, Australia. I think we'll give the Kiwis the feeling that they can get the same start to this World Cup that South Africa got in 2019. And if that is the case, would it not be interesting to see just how that impacts on a French team who are seemingly always five minutes away from a nervous breakdown. This one, uh, I'm not going to call, but if you force me, I think All Blacks by seven. England versus Argentina. Hmm. I, I quite frankly think the World Cup could not have come at a worse time for England. If you are only as good as your last performances, then losses to Ireland and Fiji, to me, suggests that Borthwick's England can't expect too much from themselves, but they are just across the channel from home at the uh, Velodrome in Marseille. And if they play poorly against Argentina, I, I, I'm willing to bet the English fans will be on their backs in large numbers because they've been facing disappointment of late. This Argentinian side, to me, could be one of the surprise packages ready to explode on this World Cup and punch above their weight. And lately, they've been punching Mike Tyson hard. In uh, November, they surprised Eddie Jones' England side 30-29. Seven months uh, later, they surprised Eddie Jones again, this time as coach of Australia by 34-31. Uh, and, and don't forget, Los Pumas nearly surprised the box as well with that one-point result in the rugby championships. Uh, I tell you who will not be surprised if Argentina go on to win this opening encounter is the bookmakers. They have Argentina installed as narrow 3-1 to favourites. And uh, if you're a betting person, it's not a bad bet to make. Wales versus Fiji. Now, Fiji is another team to watch and watch very closely coming into this World Cup. They had no problem against Samoa, Tonga and Japan. And uh, they lost by 17 points to France. But France played out of their skins 
on that day in certain uh, phases of that game. So kudos to the Islanders for uh, sticking with it. If, if they can harness what they did against England at Twickenham in their first ever win over the English, then I think they have a splendid chance to pull off an upset. They, they broke tackles like they were running through twigs, and when they crossed the whitewash, they did it easily. Um, this Fijian side has, has been together, priming themselves for the World Cup. Now, for some time, they probably have had more preparation for this World Cup together as a unit than ever before. And, and they've got a splendid metronomic points machine in the form of Caleb Munt. So if, if they can stay structured and force mistakes out of the Dragons, we could be in for a major upset. Quite frankly, I think Warren Gatlin is still trying to find his best combinations and, and the World Cup is not a place to come and perfect your recipe. So, so good luck to the men in red. At least we know the singing of their national anthem will be something special. South Africa versus Scotland. Now, let's be honest. South Africa are, if we're really honest with ourselves, we are pound-for-pound favourites in this opening encounter. Much has been said about South Africa's decision to announce their match 23 early for this match, but such is the confidence at the moment now of the Rassi-Ninaba combination. They don't mind giving Gregor Townsend an, uh, an extra day or two to pick his 23. The, the other thing we can say for sure, especially after the Twickenham trouncing of the All Blacks and the way we beat Wales in the run-up to the tournament, any team will find it hard to compete physically with a box. Now, the fact that Nienhaber has gone to a starting 15 that is perhaps his best defensive combination at, ba- at the back and amongst the forwards, and perhaps his most experienced, to me is a sign that the box are not going to take Scotland lightly. I, I think this is going to be a gritty, ugly, hopefully not a muddy mess, with the box keeping a tight kicking for the corners and taking the dog for a walk with a rolling mall at every opportunity they get until they wear the men in blue down. And let's not forget, it's a World Cup, a place where South Africa does South African things, a space where it is defense before anything else, but the kind of defense that that as you wishing you were not born. So good luck to Scotland, keeping up with the green machine up front. If they are able to do so, I think that will be their best chance of an upset. And the odds are long, uh, as their 10-match head-to-head stats uh, suggests where Scotland have just one win in that last 10. So good luck to Scotland. Good luck to Gregor Townsend. Now, Mani versus Russell. It's an interesting prospect. There, there's no doubt in my mind that Mani Libok is our best 10 with ball in hand at the moment. And no doubt in my mind that Finn Russell is an absolute match winner at his best. The problem is this game, though, for both men, is the opening match of a World Cup where you don't want anyone to see up your kilt. So I think we will see a lot more tactical kicking from these two explorers than they would like. So it, 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 it almost to me doesn't matter how much attacking nous either man has. I, I don't think they're going to play expansively. Scotland really can't afford to, given the kind of defense that they will be facing. And South Africa simply don't throw it around unless they know at least five feet of the six feet has been dug in the graves of the pack they are facing. So, so we're not going to see... The typical Marnie and Russell. But on the balance of things, where Marnie Lebok's been pushed and forced to play a little bit differently to his instincts, he's come up trumps. And how sexy it is to have a man who can kick off both feet in an accomplished way. I, I'm looking forward to this matchup. Dupont versus Smith. Now, I, I love, and I mean I love me some Antoine Dupont. He is just an instinctive killer on a rugby field and he gets to lead the French team at home in a rugby World Cup. The occasion has almost been made for this young man to snipe at an all-black side that missed 39 tackles. They missed 39 tackles against the box at Twickenham a couple of weeks ago. And if the Kiwis are as poor as that, 
On Friday, DuPont will shine. Uh, I also love the French structure where the scrum off plays a much bigger role in deciding sort of the pace and tempo of attack, sometimes more than the fly-off, which puts DuPont in good stead to really control matters. Uh, is, is opposite number Aaron Smith, considered by some as the best nine to ever don a rugby jersey. For my money, there's no better spray gun of a rugby ball. He's the most accurate passer in world rugby. But I reckon he, he won't be catching too much sleep before the opening match of the World Cup. I think stuck in his brain will, will be just how rickety the platform was that he had to play behind against the box at Twickenham. And uh, we will gather very quickly just what kind of base he gets in the opening match. And if the World Cup home team see any advantage in their pack to the All Blacks, then it is game on for Smith and we're going to be in for a treat. Because the French know one way of playing. Only one way. And we'll see how things pan out in the opening game. <laughs> It's going to be mouth-watering. No, you really just can't. And maybe that's why we picked these four matches, because there's no easy way to call it. Argentina and England. The last time they met was not so long ago. So we have, well, we think we have an idea for where they're at, but this is the World Cup. It's completely, you know, different context. What are you expecting from that match england they've been quite bold that's that's been um the choice word for the team that they've that they've selected they've included tom curry in their in their lineup and of course he's he's a little match unfit but he's he's returning and what a way to do it of course courtney laws and ben all they're up there in the absence of Billy Vinipola, who of course is um yeah <laughs> is missing out for disciplinary reasons. What can we expect? Well, I was really surprised to see that Argentina were sort of dramatic underdogs against uh, England, at least prior to I guess Eddie leaving. That made sense, you know. Uh, Former finalists, sort of pretty much the same squad uh, with a few uh, missing players. But uh, I genuinely can't see, be, you know, beyond Argentina. Um, Argentina have a really good coach in Michael Schicker and they've really made some really good performances, at least in the rugby championship. And um, this is on the, the other side of, you know, New Zealand being praised and lauded before we played them. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, um, racked up certain victories and were, I would say, a bit unlucky to not finish off the match in uh, Joburg against the, the Springboks. So a very settled team, missing one um, one key player, you know, in the, the front row. But I think it's 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 a team that has really come together at the right time. And uh, I'll, I'll humbly and happily eat crow uh, if England can uh -huh. put together a semblance of a performance. But I, I, I just can't look past Argentina. I think they have the players, they have the, um, the coaching. And I just think for England, England, it seems like it's players that are, you know, appearing together. I don't think they're a team. And I think that will definitely show. Um, obviously, there are some risks for Argentina, but I think they should comfortably, uh, you know, Ooh. put England aside. Yeah, comfortably? Wow, I, I was thinking be... less than 10, but comfortably. 
Yeah. But like I said, I said <laughs> I'll happily <laughs> um, revisit this, and you can ignore all my opinions afterwards. But I just think Argentina are <laughs> uh, a class above England, mm. and, and I just don't see any thought, you know, any sort of cohesion amongst the yeah. English. So. Do you think it makes a difference? And this is just us again, the same thing you mentioned earlier. Should France beat New Zealand, you know, they can thank us. Um, so I'm doing that kind of Springbok fan attitude again. Do you think that time in the four nations in the rugby championships with the other Southern Hemisphere top dogs um, has, has helped Los Pumas get to a place where someone can say, oh no, comfortably they'll put England away. Because it was it was last year when they beat England at Twickenham and it's a lot of those players are retained in this in the starting side for this match. And a lot of those players were those who were featured in the rugby championships when they did so well against us dare we say, and against Australia and New Zealand. Is is that the kind of preparation that gives them, let's say, the rights to be comfortable, to be confident going up against England this weekend? Yeah, I think obviously, you know, who you surround yourself with, who you're rubbing shoulders with on a, on a regular basis, definitely adds to sort of that preparation that can take place and um, prepare you in, in a way that you won't get. And, and obviously the Argentinian players have also been playing, uh, you know, in France and in Europe, so they have that experience as well. I think it's just more the case of how they've been building. They had some, some other results against the rugby championship teams and yet we can see this certain progression and definite progression that's taking place even the way um, they used to be way more spontaneous in, in the attacking play but now there seems to be a bit more circumspection there seems to be a bit more poise in the attack and yeah I think they definitely their scrum has improved I know we didn't dominate the scrum as much as we did against you know the other uh, two teams in the rugby championship and I think that's a feather in their cap uh, like I said they did lose their, their starting prop so we'll see how they adapt to that but I think this has been you know they've always sort of produced in in the World Cups I mean in 2007 they really had a few key players but I think this as I've mentioned in previous shows that I think this is definitely going to be a, a squad and a um, a very tactical World Cup and so I think they have the, the better squad um, just in terms of how they've prepared I think player for player England have probably more talent but um, it's just like I said there's just no, that, no cohesion and mm. It seems like there's, you know, Mavericks running around and there's no real game plan. <laughs> and that's a perfect segue to our next matchup, which is Wales and Fiji. Because Fiji, you could have described them in that way not too long ago. But those days are over. They used to be talented players, Mavericks running around, as you say, no cohesion. That's not true anymore. And we did talk about this in depth in our last episode, um, where we're just, you know, we've, we've got so much admiration for Fiji and how far they've come and the structures they've put in place and that is something that the Welsh are wary about as they should be. Yes, the Welsh they're not they don't excite me as much as the Fijians at the moment, but they are just that team when you think of 2011, you think of 2015, 
you know they're always bubbling under and now they've they've got Dan Bigger it's his last hurrah he's got something to prove something to play for um, he's alongside Gareth Davies they've got a nice thing going on and then of course they have Falatao back for them as well so a strong team a full strength side taking on Fiji you know the Welsh team really caused us problems <laughs> we were a bit <laughs> of a kick away from um, not seeing them uh, you know done and like I said, it's mostly the same squad. They have some really good, I would say, world-class or, you know, nearing that world-class level wingers, especially in Josh Adams and uh, Louis Rizamit. And then you obviously have, you know, a very experienced head in Dan Bigger. But um, I think the thing that is really going to play in Fiji's favour is that exposure to the Super Rugby competition and that continuity that they can maintain uh, as, as most of the squad is made up of that, um, that particular club and so like we said it's a massive miss to, to, to lose your fly off especially so close to your first game but yeah this is going to be a real intriguing battle because I would say Fiji <laughs> We can really uh, stop them if you cause sort of chaos and disorder. I think they they are much more structured. But if the game does go in that direction, you would definitely have to favor Fiji. You know, just from the neutrals perspective, I hope that it's a really good game and that the individual players can shine and that it will be, I mean, it's the last game of the weekend. So I hope it's something that will really whet our appetite for the week, weekends to come. And we can really feast on it. <laughs> well, a feast will definitely be on offer in the final match that we're, not the final match of the weekend, but the final match that we're going to be chatting about in just a bit. That's, of course, South Africa and Scotland. I'm uh, I'm excited and nervous at the same time. On the one hand, did that match against the All Blacks make us too confident or did it show too much of our hand and now the, the Scots are able to prepare adequately? This could very well be our toughest match. And um, that's not saying that Ireland won't be tough, but it's just because of you know, this being the opener and then it's kind of knockout rugby from then on. What's going on in the back rooms? How how are we preparing? And we'll talk about the team as well, because of course, a number of changes, notably Jasper Visa starting instead of Dwayne Vermeulen. And then in the midfield and the wings, very different to who we saw up against the All Blacks. What's happening here? I am oscillating between supremely confident and <laughs> like a, a slight dread. Um, you know, I look at South Africa's record against Scotland and then I think, okay, well, this is a, a done deal. And then I look at Scotland's recent results and then I think, wow, okay. You know, um, they've really sort of become someone that on the day, it's, it's fair to say that they can really beat anyone. You know, the, the Springbok team and most nations knew who their first match was going to be. And so this is not catching them, you know, unawares. These people have been studying and I know Rassi mentioned in the the interview, I think it was a few weeks ago, talking about Townsend, the coach, 
and now they've had a sort of mini battle um, going on from club rugby times and um, the mutual respect that's there so I think uh, like you said it could be our toughest match just because there's that familiarity at least amongst on a technical level and then we have a sort of um, South African flair in the <laughs> team yes that kind of familiarity which, as well yeah which will definitely make things interesting the funny coincidence regarding the, the referee that will be taking charge of this match is and Angus Gardner he was in <laughs> he was uh, refereeing the last time we faced him and you know the Springboks handily beat them there I go oscillating to a, <laughs> a, a comfortable again. Yeah. relaxing <laughs> Sunday afternoon um, but I think the balance of you know history the quality of players the coaching expertise I think uh, we can't look past the Springboks in terms of the team I think they went for what was uh, at least some circumstances necessary City. I know they said Kane and, and Jean Klein picked up some niggles and they didn't want to risk him. And I think that cautiousness is going to serve us well. Oh. You know, I think maybe in World Cups previous or gone by, we would have been willing to risk. And um, Shark's words were, he'd rather have a 100% player than a, you know, a 60 or 50% player. And so another match that I don't think we're going to cover, but uh, I think Springbok fans will be watching with gleeful anticipation is the return of Andre Pollard potentially playing for the Tigers on Friday. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage that. And then also, I, I was just surprised to see Grant Williams. I'm not sure what you make of him having an appearance. Interesting, yes, because Grant Williams, I just, I imagine that he could then offer cover in multiple positions. That's what they're going with. And potentially getting Cheslin to only play half the match and then wrap him up and then give, give Grant a go. My thinking with Dwayne is maybe they they want to alternate between Sia and Dwayne in terms of leadership. It, of course, Marco van Staden, he can play anywhere between the locks and, and the back row. They're definitely, with these replacements, they're going for utility. They're going, I think they're, they're prepared to be flexible. They're an element of reading and adapting with this bench. Uh, I definitely see the sort of adaptability and I think this match has been the pattern for a few of the Springboks or many of the Springboks victories be won in the second half and I think Grant does give us an extra dynamic I mean we already have a lot of pace on the wings and so it'll be interesting to see how um, he does you know depending on where he plays I think it will be a tough match but I think our forwards are going to lay the foundation and we'll see against quite a physical side hey yeah I mean I watched the highlights of the previous or the most recent Scottish game and uh, you know the way our scrum was moving against them <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't think we're going to have much issue um, in terms of fronting up you know we have a, a mini squad bomb squad I guess on, on the bench so <laughs> I think we'll be adequately covered for that so yeah it's going to be a weekend full of entertainment. What What is it that, that's getting you excited for these opening matches? Please do let us know. You can find us on Twitter at NiceTry4Fans. That's all one word. That's where you find us. Or you can search BSG Productions, which is, of course, the same as our email. 
BSG Productions at Outlook.com. And we especially love hearing from you when it comes to our next and final feature, which is the building of the all-time greatest Springbok starting lineup. This is probably the most difficult one because we have had two World Cup winning captains wear the number six jersey and fulfill this role. Them, of course, being Franchot Pinard from the 95 World Cup and very recently Sia Khaleesi back in 2019. And then, of course, my pick for this position, Skulk Berger, who was part of the 2007 World Cup winning team. He's my pick. That's it. I said it. Timothy, I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's really difficult. And... I know when we when we were talking about hookers, you went with John Smith because of his presence and his leadership. And so you might be, you know, leaning in the way of presence and leadership with Roger Pinar and then of course everyone's favorite captain, Sia Khaleesi. So let's hear it. Yeah, you know, I would like to do the super sport rendition of Siam Tanda. Ah, Don't really get it down. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, yeah that, that seems for me to be the only pick. Like you said, it's tough oh, with Franz Fopina. Okay, sure. <laughs> it's tough with Franz Fopina. Uh, mm. But he has got, he's got a World Cup. He's got a British and Irish Lions tour and his belt. So does Skulk. Those two, I would say, are, you know, Skulk's personal story as well. Uh, coming back from the brink of death. Um, oh, yeah. And then just the way he played. I, I still do have to give it to CS. He has discipline. At least we can say is a bit better. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. And should Sia really see out this this World Cup, I, I don't think there's anyone that really can hold the candle to him. I would say Sia and Francois are on par in terms of the unionizing role that yeah. they've shown in their leadership and in particularly trying times I think you know for the country's history so I think just from that perspective you know Skull in terms of talent he's up there with anyone and I, I don't think I would say that Asia's struggling to keep up with in, in terms of production and we kind of got a glance um, to see what he means to the team particularly in this 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 group of players and so yeah I, I, I can't look past him I wouldn't begrudge anyone from picking Francois Pinar or Skullberg I think they are fair fair candidates um, but just for me and you know as I said I'm a bit biased to a more recency bias um, yeah I, I would definitely have to go for Sia I was going to cheat it I'll tell you that I was actually going to cheat this and pick Sia and then wait for us to do number 8 and then pick Skulk and say oh surprise actually I would play Skulk at number 8 because he can do that as well Skulk is is my pick he's just such a nuisance that's not even going by you know coming back from injury coming back from illness those things aside he was just such a nuisance he was he was a typical fetcher and um i remember jake white being criticized for that at, at one point as well and of course he was so young in 2004 um, after making his World Cup 
debut. I, I remember that match against Georgia. I was thinking like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? How is he everywhere all at once? And you mentioned discipline and I, I see you. His discipline, it was an issue, especially in those, those early 2000s. But something that was always remarkable to me was when he went to the Sinbin, it felt like we lost four or five players because that was the work rate that he had. That was the presence. And that was just his his ability to be everywhere and do everything. And, and that's that's why I picked him. But it is it is really difficult. And again, I invite those listening to please share their takes. Who is the all-time greatest number six for the Springboks? And that brings us to the end of what we have for you today. Such a jam-packed weekend. Friday 8th, quarter past nine South African time. That's France versus New Zealand. Other teams in action, Italy, Namibia, Ireland and Romania, Australia and Georgia. They're all in action on Saturday. And then Sunday, England, Argentina, Japan and Chile, Scotland and South Africa, of course. That's nine o'clock South African time and the weekend ends with Wales up against Fiji. Wherever you are, whatever you're going to be watching, we hope you enjoy it to the maximum and we hope that listening to us and being part of this community has added to that enjoyment. It's been such a privilege being with you. Timothy, your insights as always, phenomenal. Thank you everyone. Um, as I said, thank you for the feedback really appreciate it and we hope that it's an enjoyable time and that we will have some good news as you know fellow Springbok supporters uh yeah to, to look forward to early uh, a, a festival of rugby until next time this is nice try <laughs> <laughs>